0: Welcome to another great message at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. It's such a privilege for me to be able to share with you guys this morning on a Sunday. Um, when Pastor Adrian asked me a couple of months back now if I'd preach this morning, it was about three months back now, you know, we try plan ahead, and I, uh, I got to to thinking that, um, you know, I'd love to preach on something that I am confident on, something that I, that I know uh, the theology around, something that I love sharing on. And, you know, that made me feel a little more comfortable about the message today. And then, as most of you know, um, over the last maybe two months since then, we've had people preaching here, like Jake and Phil, um, who preach to, to kings and pastors and have legitimately uh, taken nations for Jesus, so you know, that added a little bit of pressure. And then uh, Pastor Phil also, or Phil also said to Pastor Adrian, he doesn't preach with any notes. So that made me feel better about myself as well. And, um, and then we obviously had Pastor Will come and preach. And people were legitimately messaging me during the message, telling me how great he is. So now, you know, that was about, what, six weeks back. Um, and the pressure started to mount. I still didn't know what I was gonna share on. Um, and then obviously you guys all know Pastor Adrian, the genius of theology. <laughs> so that doesn't help. Um, you know, Pastor Adrian actually, they were going to go away over this time. Um, and then he messaged me and he's like, you know what, man, we're not going to go away. Would you like me to be here today? And I was like, yes, definitely. Yeah, I'd love that. I'd love that, you know. No pressure added there either. Um, and then last week we had Pastor Mark, who's been in ministry for over 50 years. Um, multiple, uh, dean of multiple Bible colleges. And um, celebrated his 70th birthday. So that's a lot of wisdom there as well. And, you know, Pastor Adrian three weeks ago messaged me and said, like he mentioned, can I now preach on 1 Corinthians 11? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever you need, you know. Uh, Knowing that we're in this this series in Corinthians, um, Mission in a Mad World. And,. I was like, okay, cool. So I quickly just glanced at it. I think I was in between meetings. I was like, oh, great. It's on communion. This is awesome. You know, this is something that that I love to share on. It's so great. It fits in what I wanted to share on. It fits in, um, you know, me pointing to Jesus in Scripture. So I was like, yes, this is great. So I'm like, yeah, sure. No, that's cool. Then I got home, and I thought, let me just read in to the Scripture a bit more. And I realized that it's this Scripture on communion. And if you guys haven't read the Scripture yet, it's probably the toughest Scripture on, communi- on communion in the whole of Scripture. Right. There's so many different scriptures that people are still arguing about, and I thought to myself, thanks so much, Pastor A, for this part of scripture. But then, I actually thought, let me read the first half of 1 Corinthians 11 to see if there's any context, and I was so grateful that I didn't get given last week's topic. Thank you, Jesus, that I got given this week's topic. And as Pastor Mark mentioned, I mean, as Pastor Adrian mentioned, Pastor Mark's message last week was on a tough part of scripture um, on... Uh, God's heart towards women in ministry, and I want to encourage you guys, like Pastor Adrian said, to go and take a listen to that message, such an amazing message, but all of that to be said that I'm just so grateful I get to preach on this, on this message today, not last week's message, but let's get into the, the message this morning, and I want to read from 1 Corinthians um, 11 verse 17 first, and it says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. And Paul, as Pastor A ma- uh, mentioned, and by the way, Pastor Adrian pretty much summed up my message in his landing of worship and his uh, message on community, so, you know, I was just wondering, is it still an option to just say what he said and we just go have coffee? I don't know, but I'll go for it anyway. Um, but Paul is clearly upset here, and Paul is, is writing to or responding to the church in Corinthia. And... Up until this point, he's responding to things that they've been asking, but now he goes on and says, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you. So Paul's obviously written to them before, and he said to them, this is something that you have to do as a church. Yeah. And he's saying, when you come together, it is not for the better, but it is for the worse. So that would suggest that Paul's saying, when they come together, that this should be something that is uplifting. This is, this is something that should be adding to the community, and there's something that they're doing." Um, in this part of Scripture that Paul is saying is having the opposite effect. Yeah. And, you know, I met with Pastor Adrian after looking at the Scripture and realizing how tough the Scripture was, and I went and I did some research on on the different parts of the Scripture, and you'll see what I'm talking about later on. And obviously, this part of Scripture is, is about communion. And I met with Pastor Adrian, and we discussed it a little bit. And he said something to me that was so profound. He said to me, you know, so often we take Scripture and we try and fit the gospel into the Scripture, instead of allowing the Scripture to just speak about what the Scripture is speaking about. And I thought that was so profound. You know, it's so, it would have been so easy for me to take the Scripture on communion and make it all about what we have in Jesus in communion. And yes, it is about that, but in this part, this is Paul actually addressing something about communion. I thought there was such wisdom, and really opened up a whole different understanding for me about the Scripture. But I want to go ahead and pray for us before we get into the rest of the message this morning. And Father, we just... Thank you so much that we can spend this time in your word this morning, Father. We thank you that we have such access to your word, Lord, and that we're able to just learn from your word, Father. And we thank you, Lord, that the word today falls upon ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that receive the word this morning, Father. And we thank you for just a great time in your word this morning. In your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Amen. So I want to go ahead and read from verse 18. So again, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 18 to 22. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you? No, I will not. And this is obviously quite a strong piece of scripture that Paul's talking about here. Um, But you can see in in verse 18 there, he says, for in the first place. And this would suggest that this isn't just one thing that they're doing wrong. You know, Paul's about to lay down a few things that people are doing wrong in the church of Corinth at the moment. And I just want to give you guys some context as to what was going on in that day and age. So, you know, we get together here on, on Sundays or maybe in your community group and we take communion together. And we have uh, communion, like you see on your left or your right there, where we have a cup, we have some grape juice, we have some bread, and we break it and we take it together. But in this day and age, they would have got together and they would have had a full-on meal together. And Paul knew at this time that there was probably going to be a mixture of believers and non-believers at these meals. Um, and that was mainly because um, there would have been spouses that wouldn't have been believers, but there also would have been servants at that time that were serving their masters that would have been at the same meal that also wouldn't have been believers. And these guys were basically getting together, and they were just making this thing a feast. They were just making this basically a party. And that's where Paul goes on to say, you know, you're meant to be coming together and taking the Lord's Supper, but what you're doing is not the Lord's Supper at all. This, this has nothing to do with the Lord's Supper whatsoever. And he continues to say, um, some of you just go ahead, and you, you eat by yourself. You just eat whenever. Some of you go hungry, and others just plainly come and have a party and get drunk. Like, this this is not the Lord's Supper at all. This is not communion at all. This is not what I have instructed you before. And basically, what was happening is that the wealthy in this time, they were coming together, and they were partaking of this meal first. They were really just eating all the food, having a good time, and then within that time, somewhere at some stage, They would break bread, and at the end, they would basically just drink their wine. But the wealthy were starting out with eating, starting out in this feast, and only if there was food left over were they allowing others to eat. And that's why it says some of you just go ahead and eat, and some of you go hungry, because for servants or whoever else wasn't there when they started eating, there would be nothing left over for them. And then, as I said, the rest of them were just having a party. (laughs) So that's just some context of what was actually going on while they were taking communion. And this kind of reminded me of something in my own life. And when when I was young, my dad loves to tell people that I went to school to play sports and eat my sandwiches, which is sometimes a little bit offensive, but, but it's okay, I know he loves me anyway. Um, but I remember this one time, um, basically cricket was my main sport so i i played cricket as my main sport i I gave everything i had into that sport so when the winter season came um, i didn't want to play rugby because as you can see i'm not the biggest guy in the world so i didn't want to get injured for cricket season and i feel like this is this is some grace as well because you know um, pastor adrian's always sharing on these rugby analogies and some golf analogies and i can bring the hockey ones for all the smaller guys here you know (laughs) i feel like it's relatable um I also feel like there's two things that I relate to Pauline. I'm single, and I have sports analogies. I think, you know, maybe it's just those two, but, but it's pretty cool. Um, but I remember this one day, um, we, it was off-season, and we, were, we had a hockey match that afternoon, but um, we didn't have an Astro at our school at that, at that time, so we used to drive through to the Ramberg Astro and play our matches at the Ramberg Astro. Um, But on this particular day, we we actually were playing on our grass field at school, which almost never happened. But what's so cool about it being played there is that it's one of the only times in the season that we actually get people to come and watch, because no one else would drive to the Astro to watch us at a different venue. Um, So... This day, it was a Wednesday, and I don't know if it's still like this, but Wednesdays at my school, we used to end at Hoppus 1. I don't know why it was earlier on a Wednesday, but our game was around Hoppus 3, so I figured, you know what, this is kind of my secondary sport. I I don't want to kind of waste my time waiting around, so I took my cricket kit with, and I decided I was going to go on the bowling machine and practice for two hours before our game started. So I went up, spent some time with my friend there, had a bit of fun, and then... Got back to our game, joined my team. I was there on time and we warmed up together and it was all all great. And someone mentioned to my coach that I'd been practicing cricket before, before the game. And he wasn't pleased with this, obviously. I mean, I just spent two hours uh, using up all my energy to do something else and he decided that he was going to bench me for this game. And obviously I wasn't impressed. You know, I felt like at that stage I was one of the better players in the side. I was playing center forward. Um, it had nothing to do with the fact that you know, this was the one time we had girls watching us play hockey. It had nothing to do with that at all. Um, but now I was benched, and and I was super upset. You know, I thought to myself, "This is ridiculous." You know, um, but halftime came, and we were losing, and that made me feel a little bit better And by myself. I thought, "Well, this is great." You know, you see. Um, but I I then got brought on on the second during the second half, and and we we started off that half and I thought to myself, let me just show these guys what I'm about now, you know? And so I passed back to my my center link and he passed it back to me and, and we had this stupid thing that we used to do <laughs> that we call the Superman Run. And, and the king of the Superman Runs was actually Scotty, who's here today. <laughs> he, he pulled him off a lot more than anyone else. But what a Superman Run is, is that you would just go on this crazy run, try and beat as many players as you could And try and just do something miraculous i was like this is my chance now you know to prove uh, who i am and why i shouldn't be benched so i start off i beat the first player beat the second player beat the defense get into the d and now i'm open to take a shot and i realize that my right wing has now made a run as well and he's free in the d with me so now i have this moment to decide am i going to prove that I shouldn't have been benched or am i going to pass off and we're going to score this great team goal and you know it's almost confirmed and i think you guys know the answer of what i did (laughs) Um, but because we were not playing on astro it's a little bit less forgiving and i also duffed the shot and we didn't score so a couple of minutes later i'm back on the bench (laughs) and um and I was super upset you know I I basically was saying to my coach like did you not just see what I just did (laughs) did you not just see me beat five players here did you not just watch what I did to create a space for us to score and um and I think we ended up losing the game which didn't help but this reminded me of what they're doing in the church in Corinth or what they were doing at this time and basically what they were doing is they had received Jesus and this I kind of see as the fact that all that hard work was done. You know, they were in a, in a space now where they had already received Jesus. They, know, they knew who Jesus was. And now they're coming together to celebrate that. They're coming together to, to share about Jesus, to remember Jesus. And at the last moment where there's all these non-believers with them, they're pointing to themselves. They're making it about themselves. Yeah. And they just, it's just, it cannot be a goal. It, yeah. You cannot score that way. You cannot, it, it just doesn't land. And, and that's what Paul that's what Paul's addressing here, and I think you know it was just so relatable to me how we all do that so often in our lives, yeah. and I just want to continue reading from verse twenty three to twenty six, and Paul continues today to say, "For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread." And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I just want to add what I forgot to say is while I was running and doing my Superman run, I... I might have shouted out Superman Run at the same time, <laughs> being being an arrogant teenager, but it also it just adds to, to the pride I, I had at that time. <laughs> but what is Paul actually speaking about here? And I believe that there are three things that Paul is addressing. And the first thing, I believe, is, is division. And, you know, Paul's obviously, he speaks about division in that verse 18 to 22, and he says that there are obviously fractions among you, and there's obviously some genuine genuine ones among you in order to identify the not so genuine ones. And then speaks about the fact that you're even taking this supper separately. So obviously those things are pretty normal evidence of division, but I believe that why Paul goes on to repeat the instruction is because Paul's not talking about the fact that these guys are physically taking communion incorrectly. You know, Paul's not talking about the fact that clearly they were still taking communion. You know, they're saying, Come and commend us, basically, because look, we're doing what you told us to do. So Paul's not saying physically you're doing this thing wrong. But what Paul's speaking about, he's speaking about the heart issue behind what is going on in the church of Corinth. And the heart issue in this division is the fact that division that they is the fact that they've forgotten about Jesus. Them getting together is no longer remembering Jesus, but it's about pointing to themselves. The same way as me making that run, I just wanted to point to myself. I didn't didn't care about my teammates. I didn't care about passing so as a team we could do something together. I just cared about proving the fact that, look how good I am. Look how great this is. And this is what they were doing. And, you know, the truth is that a true remembrance of Jesus can only create unity, true unity in your life. And, you know, something that is is so amazing is that the gospel is for everyone. And this is what these guys forgot. You know, they saw the fact that this was a time to get together to celebrate themselves. But if they had a true remembrance and a true understanding of who Jesus is, the result of that is understanding that the gospel is for everyone, that Jesus died for everyone. That that they are no more worthy of Jesus dying for their lives than anyone else that would have been at that feast, than anyone else that we may encounter in church on a Sunday or in a community group. And I just made a little equation for, for each of these points that Paul made. And for this one, it's division plus Jesus equals unity. And what's so great about that is that you cannot add anything to that but Jesus to create unity. Anything else you add to that just continues to be division. You know, if you try and create unity, you know, we, we're in a world right now where people are struggling to understand how we can be united. Yeah, okay. You know, so uh, how many of you know that in the press right now, it's like we must we must get together, we must have, be in one mind, we must do things together as a community, but the way that the world is trying to do this is to say, let's just accept everything. Let's just say, you can do whatever you want to do, you can be whatever you want to be, and any of those things that you add to this just continues to point to this division. Yeah. And when you add Jesus to that equation, it results in this unity. And the second thing that I believe that Paul was speaking about is pride. And, you know, I think the division is, is obviously a result of that pride of the people in Corinth. But once again these people have forgotten about Jesus. And, and what is pride in the biblical sense? You know, we can talk about pride and someone just being arrogant and being full of themselves. But pride in the biblical sense is um, not understanding your need for Jesus. It's not understanding your need for a Savior. It's not understanding the fact that you cannot better yourself, that you cannot live up to the law, that you cannot be anything of your own strength. It's an understanding that you need Jesus in every single area of your life. Yeah. And... You know what what I love about scripture is that Paul is addressing these guys about these issues in their life. But scripture always gives you the ability to deal with those things through grace. You know, Paul's not messaging them. Oh not messaging them. I'm already I'm a millennial, forgive me. I just make it into the millennials in case anyone was wondering. But Paul's Paul's not writing them to say to them, writing to them to say to them, be better you know, help yourself, you know, this is, not, this is not who you are, Paul's writing it to them to say, remember to point to Jesus, remember to understand who you are in Jesus, and that is the answer that grace gives us, grace gives us the ability to turn away from these things, which I just, I just love that about scripture, you know, it's not Paul writing saying, fulfill something else, it's Paul writing saying, here is how God can change your life, here is how Jesus can change something from the inside out. And the equation I have for that is pride plus Jesus equals humility. And in 1 Peter 5, it talks about the fact that we can humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God because God gives grace to the humble. And anything else you add in there can only stay as pride once again. You know, if you, if you have pride and you're trying to work to be more humble, if you become humble, you're just going to have pride in the fact that you're humble. There's nothing you can add to pride except for Jesus that results in humility. There's nothing you can add to pride except for Jesus that gives you an understanding that this isn't about you, that this is about Jesus. This is about, this is about Jesus changing lives. This is about Jesus entering into people's hearts and changing their lives forever. And finally, I feel like Paul is speaking about self. And when I, when I speak about self, I'm talking about people pointing to themselves. And at the end of verse 26, Paul says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And once again, the fact that they're missing out on Jesus, missing out on, on what Jesus has already done in their lives. These are people that have already been saved. These are people that already encountered Jesus. And they're forgetting the fact that coming together is proclaiming Jesus, is proclaiming the death of Jesus until he returns. And an understanding of your need for a savior is the only thing that changes that self to selflessness. And these guys, basically what they're doing, what I believe Paul is pointing out, and I'm sorry to use this analogy, I am a young adults pastor. So I had to throw one young person's analogy in, but uh, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie Anchorman, <laughs> but this guy stands up in the mirror and he says, I look good. He's like, everybody, come and look how good I look. Let's celebrate me. And this is what these guys were doing in this, this moment of self. They were pointing to, themself, to themselves in this time when they should be proclaiming Jesus they thought that what they had, what they did, their social status, was something that was more important than anybody else. More important than proclaiming Jesus. More important than saving lives forever. More important than letting people get an understanding of their need for Jesus. These were people that seemingly had it all. Imagine the impact they could have had saying, this is nothing compared to Jesus. Don't try and have what I have. Don't try and be who I am. The only reason we have anything is through Jesus. None of this means anything without Jesus. And again, the equation there is self plus, plus anything else would stay as self. But self plus Jesus equals that self, that um, selflessness. And all of these things kind of link up. And I want to read from verse 27 to 32. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And there are some hectic statements In that piece of scripture and I must be honest I don't know what half of it is really meaning there's these massive discussions around scripture on on many of those points but what I do know is whatever they're doing is leading to these things in their lives is leading to this illness whatever that looks like is leading to this division whatever that looks like but what I love is the fact that Paul is speaking here about the solution to this whole problem and the solution to this whole problem no matter what's happening The solution is examining yourself according to who Jesus is to you. He says, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And you know, all three of these points, like I said, remembering Jesus is what they forgot to do. But it's not just remembering Jesus and saying Jesus was someone that died on the cross 2,000 years ago for us. It's not just remembering the fact that Jesus is or Jesus died for our sins so that we can have eternal life but it's remembering who Jesus is in and is in our lives right now you know I often say to people that grace isn't just for salvation but it's also for transformation it's for now it's for who we are today and you know when we when we take communion and we examine ourselves what you're actually doing is first of all getting an understanding of who Jesus is Secondly, getting an understanding of who we are in Jesus to God. This declaration of God's love for us by sending His one and only Son so that we may be reunite, reunited with God and have eternal life. But it's also examining ourselves according to our need for a Savior. You know, when we, when we examine ourselves and we take communion, when we remember Jesus, it's not looking to our sin and thinking, oh, I'm a sinner, I need to be better Yo, I battle with this. I've been battling with this for 20 years. This is something that I cannot be better at. This is something that I cannot fix. It's looking at your problem and realizing that Jesus is the answer. It's looking at the problem and realizing that the only thing that can change your life, the only thing that can enter into that area of your life and give you the grace to change is Jesus. This isn't a moment to self-reflect and try and be better. It's a moment to examine yourself according to who you are in Jesus. And the result in that... The result of that is that humility, is that community, is that sharing with people around you, is loving one another. We cannot fake loving one another. But when you have this understanding of all that Jesus has done for you, the result can only be to love each other, to want to share Jesus with each other. And, you know, so often we get told at church, you know, obviously I'm the community pastor here, so I spend a lot of time with people. And they they say to me that, I'm just not the kind of person to share Jesus. I'm just not the kind of person to go out and minister to someone. You know, I don't even know how to speak to someone about Jesus. Like, how does this work? Like that's, maybe I'm introverted. This is not who I am. But Paul, in this case, is speaking about the fact that when these guys got together as a community, it was a chance for them to proclaim Jesus until he returns. So when we get together here on a Sunday, you know, Sharing Jesus isn't just going out and being that one person sharing in a community. It's us getting together and being united and allowing people to see that we are one because of Jesus. Allowing people to see how Jesus has changed our lives as a community. Allowing people to see how all of us can come together. Some of us, or some of you may be CEOs of major corporations. Some of you may be unemployed. But when we come here and we see each other as Jesus sees us, we're united. And you know, I see this in community groups as well. So many people go to community groups to receive. And yes, community groups are there for you to journey with people and for you to receive wisdom from your peers or from your friends in that community group or your family in that community group. But community groups are also for you to encourage one another, to declare the goodness of Jesus to one another. A community group is not just something you go to to receive, but it's something for you to add to other people's lives too. And this is what Paul's talking about. You know, they're getting together together. And it was a chance for them to proclaim Jesus. But the only way we can do that is understand our need for Jesus. Understand everything that he has done for us.